And welcome back to this very special episode of the Constitutionals Podcast. I'm your host, Chad White. And listen, we got a we got another good one for you here. Uh, no bad episodes. This show should just be called No Bad Episodes because that's all we as we only we only have good stuff, baby. Only the good stuff. <laughs> all right. Up coming up. Up coming up. Up coming up. We have Chris Gethard back in the building for the second time in half a year. It's about six months, right? Chris Gethard came back on his own behest to chat with me about his uh, latest special called Half My Life. You can find it anywhere. Vimeo, Amazon, iTunes, Google Play Store, all the stuff. Anywhere you can buy specials. You know what? I've seen the special, and I like it. I enjoy it. It's a road trip special. He goes to about 10 different venues uh, and performs and all the all the while interspersed between the, the 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 comedy bits are you know him and the four people that he took with him uh, and all of he paid he you you'll hear in the interview he paid for this entire thing himself the road trip and his his friends and the the director is one of his friends and the cameras and all that stuff it was, it's and it's it's well done you know it's only a handful of people and maybe this is how Comedy should be done from now on. You don't need, you don't need, and we talk about this again. You don't need big stadiums. You don't need uh, any, you don't need all that uh, stuff. It's when you get down to the root of it, comedy is uh, is best when it's just one person, one or two people on stage, uh, and they're, and they're, and they're talking to, you know, like a, a handful of other people, and everyone's just having a good time. I mean, that's at least how, I mean, obviously, you know, stadium stuff can still be great. And uh, big venues and stuff, but uh, the smaller stuff also, and I'm, I'm going to keep calling it stuff, the smaller, smaller specials and, and rooms, there's also room for them as well. So there you go. Two minutes of me ranting about this. Listen, enjoy Chris Gethard. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. If you like what you heard here, head to the website, cpluscomedy.com. I know I usually do this at the end, but I'm not going to do something at the end. But if you you like what you heard here, cpluscomedy.com, you can see the uh, video interview version of this on youtube.com slash cpluscomedy, where you can also see our premiere show, News Time, where I take one topic and uh, every single week, uh, without fail... And I and I extrapolate it. It's like the Daily Show last week tonight, except uh, less funny. There you go. Okay, thank you for listening. Enjoy this the Chris Gethard interview two. All right, bye. <laughs> I just I just finished watching. The, well, I didn't just finish watching it, but I watched the uh, the, the special. Uh, very well done. It was uh, it felt uh, very fun. Thanks. Yeah, you know, it's I'm not going to claim it's perfect, but I did it myself, and I think that the heart of that shows through. So to hear you say the phrase "very well done," I sit there, I go, "Oh, that's awesome," because it was on a micro budget, and I took a chance on it, and that that actually is a compliment that means a lot. So thank you. Yeah, I mean that's what. Uh, last time we spoke, I I talked to you about uh, the podcast and it uh, and you know I I think that everything you do, just even if there doesn't if there's not money behind it, it's just it's just good 
and uh, I wasn't saying clean, but it's not. Uh, but it's just good, and it makes you it makes you feel good, and it makes you feel like you're a part of something. That's cool to hear. It's cool to hear because you know, especially especially since my old TV show got canceled, I've been trying to like, you know, since then I've had a kid. I bought a house. I also think just like turning forty, a little bit of a bit like I mean, shows up in the doc, right? Like, yeah, I'm just going like, hi. I'm not cool anymore. Like, I'm not the public access. I'm not the renegade anymore. Like, not that guy. And I do feel like this is like a thing that I hope is funny and interesting to people. And that I also feel like I had to kind of get this out of my guts mm -hmm. to kind of return to form and go, okay, I, I'm becoming comfortable with my station in life. And I'm recognizing that it's different than what I'm used to. And it's a little scary, both as a person and as an entertainer, but. I'm uh, I'm really excited to get there, and I, I look at this thing. I go, I, th I think I, I think I kind of nailed that down, and I think that will serve me well in the future. And hmm. it seems like people are also responding well to the way we did this, and that that's that's awful nice. Yeah, I I think it's and don't take this the wrong way. I think it's your your most accessible. Uh, you know, besides the show, the most accessible project you've done because career suicide, that was just so intense. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I, and I, there's no offense to be taken at all in that. I'm actually incredibly happy to hear that because it's like, there are some people who I really admire greatly. Like Mike Berbiglia has been a great mentor to me and a yes. great friend to me. And he has managed to come up with I think four shows now that are all legitimately right. comedy that also I would say exceed it art wise right I mean his last show went to Broadway that's no joke that's no yeah. joke and I have I've had to realize man like I was on a track career suicide I think it said a lot of stuff that I really did want to say and people were very kind of at the fact that I went there and that that maybe took a little guts but I've also had to realize like I don't have I don't have another one in me and to mm. squeeze out another one I think would be a bit disingenuous and the last thing I want to do is go I'm going to be the depression guy forever just because that's how I make money I can't yeah. I can't commodify I can't invent new pain to commodify it it would be very very wrong to do to an audience so the accessibility of this, when I sit here, I go, man, is it really, do I really just have mostly jokes about like raising a kid and like how weird it was to grow up in the suburbs now? Like, is that, am I allowed to do that after a thing like career suicide? And I go, oh, well, actually, um, actually the way that those are connected is because those are very honestly the realities of my life at the time. And mm. that's very important. And do I wish that I could remain maybe in that like New York theater blend, like NPR and the New Yorker cover your stuff. Yeah. yeah, I wish, but ultimately I had one of those. And if I have a second one of those, it's gonna be years from now because I don't have it right now. So yeah. And, and you know what too, coming to that realization mm. and putting out this special that I think like showed the struggle of getting there, but I, where I actually will say, I think a lot of the jokes pretty good and moving on from it, I'm writing new stuff and I'm sitting here and going, this is probably the stuff that has the least emotional heft and the least effort to kind of cut to the quick on some 
cultural conversations I'd like to start. Mm. But as far as the actual setups and punchlines, I think I'm writing the best stuff I've ever written in that sense. That's exciting to see what happens too. And if it, it and if I'm like, and maybe I'm about to take my turn towards being like, you know, like Ray Romano and everybody loves Raymond stuff and, and material that leads to that. But then, you know what? I also go, I've seen Ray Romano perform live. He's brilliant. Mm-hmm. He's a very, very kind comic. And I've watched him rip the, rip the stage to shreds. When I auditioned at the Comedy Cellar, they actually made me follow Ray Romano, which was daunting. <laughs> As you can imagine, the crowd was like, it's the guy who's in our living rooms four times a day. <laughs> and I watched the set. I was like, oh, man, and he's awesome, too. Yeah. And obviously, he got where he got. But I go, if I'm taking that turn towards jokes about being suburban and a dad, let's do it. It's honest. Let's go. I haven't tried to kill myself in many, many years. I, I guess... I guess, what do you say to that? Oh, bummer, man. I don't get another one-man show. Man, or, or I can be happy that there's no longer cuts up and down my arms. I think I'll choose that one. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's a, yeah, that's it. I mean, you, yeah, it's, a, you know, you can see, speaking of, you know, Mike's, Mike's comedy, you can see his growth from one to, to the last one. Uh, I think my girlfriend, he's, my, he's like one of my favorite comedians, and I think my girlfriend's boyfriend is just phenomenal. I think it's like near perfection because yes. it dredge, it dredges up, you know, so many emotions in an hour and a half. And, and to do that for an audience uh, of that size, it's, it's amazing. And then, and then what you did with career suicide, uh, I mean, it's, it's very comparable. Uh, and then, you know, another comedian that I, I, I think you're friends with uh, Pete Holmes. Oh, yes, uh, yes, yes. I just, I think I have a, a, a like a, a affinity for a schlubby white guy's, uh, and it's it's like well, like I want them to be friends. I want to be friends with all of you guys. I think it's it's just it's so wonderful the way you're so honest on stage, well, and, and, and we can all join in. Thank you, because I gotta tell you, schlubby white guys, it, we have not been in vogue lately, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, I'm okay with. It. I think maybe there's some people who react like oh, like you know, there, there's maybe some people who go who have like extreme opinions on that. I go, oh, that's. I, th- I do actually think about that. I go, man, like my public access show 2011, 2012, I was talking about depression and it felt a little scary to talk about. And mm. people felt a little uncomfortable at times with me talking about it. And I go, 10 years later, that conversation is actually in the forefront. I don't know that my show would have seemed very progressive today. A lot yeah. of, a lot of like, you know, white improv kids, like, and thank God for that. That's my reaction. Not wait, I'm getting boxed out. Hmm. I'm going to work hard, write stuff that's honest to me today. Pray there's an audience for it, but also understand one of the best things I can do if I've said all the things I have to say is like get out of the way and really enjoy being impressed by the people who do have a lot of stuff to say right now. Exactly. And most of my favorite comics right now, I could name a list where I go, oh, these are all people who are making me laugh legitimately hard who i also go oh and you're also very different from me and i remember 10 15 years ago being in the scene not always feeling exposed to as many people who are different than me and i go that's it's very exciting be humble be ego free don't worry about the financial bottom line for me right the schlubby white guys 
and go, man, this is exciting for everybody and it's going to be productive and fruitful for all of us um, to see the scene. It just puts more fertilizer, right? It just puts more fertilizer for things to grow in the comedy world. So I just take a deep breath and, and go, yeah, man. Sorry for that weird side check, but yeah. This lovey white guys thing. I go, man, why do so many people get mad about this state of things? I think it's very exciting. I'm also lucky in that I have some stability and I've had a career already. So I know I'm lucky with that, but still, I think the point stands. Yeah, that I, that makes total sense. Um, I spoke to uh, Craig Ferguson uh, oh. like two years ago, and uh, and he did in his in his he did a special a series of specials uh, that were like I think it was like a four part special, uh, and there was a road trip just like yours, and yours is the and half my life is the first you know road trip of the summer, especially pandemic like after a pandemic summer, we're coming off of this uh, this thing, <laughs> and uh, and it's like it feels like a tour diary. Uh, yes. and it, it just, it feels, it's great with all the, uh, the, the aesthetic with the, the kind of VCR ish, uh, language of the camera work. Uh, I, I really, that I enjoyed that part because I, and, and seeing you guys in a car, just everybody packed into a car like sardines. That's so, it's so stupid and cheap and easy. And, and that's what, and that's what works for, for you. So I feel like you really got what we were going for. You know, some of it is actually, those are not like editing filters. We shot it on camcorders in oh my a God. bunch of sections. Like they're actual smaller than the palm of your hand camcorders. Jeez. A lot of it was because I grew up, there were, there's a few music documentaries, incredibly informative to me. Uh, from, one called Another State of Mind from I think 1984. So it looked like that. And a lot of this was me going, I'd love to make the comedy version of that. Like that made me feel, that made me really wake up in a lot of ways. So a lot of it's just a homage to that style from that particular documentary. But, but also I hope it made it accessible visually. And, and then one of the things that I wanted to kind of put out there too, is like, yeah, I've had an HBO special. I had a TV show on cable. I still rent a car and drive myself from Buffalo to Detroit. It's the reality. Right. I actually think people would be surprised that for a lot of us, that is still the reality. Um, even people who I think are at like a relative point of success and stability. Like for me, I'm still at a point where there's major ebbs and flows and 2016 and 2017 were, you know, that's, that's five years ago. I had a couple of great years. Those are five years ago. So I guess I'll stand in line at Avis again and get back to work. And uh, it was, it was fun for me to kind of put that out there and sort of say, I've done a special that's your traditional, let's get a really cool theater and let's wear a, a, a cool outfit and sneakers that I bought just for this. Like that, I, I always laugh because so many comedian specials, if you watch, you go, those are brand new sneakers. Yeah. Those are your confidence sneakers. And I love that. And I hope I get to do another one or two of those in my career down the line. But for now, I was like, Let's show the fact that uh, I still use that Hotels Tonight app to make sure I'm getting the cheapest room I can because if I can save 30 bucks right now, I got a mortgage and a kid. Yeah. Let's do it. My guarantee is not the highest, and I'm happy I can play a 200, 300-seat room, but I don't always sell those out. So let's be realistic, and let's let's if we need to go to one of the highway hotels tonight, let's go to one of the highway hotels. And that is what a lot of the documentary footage shows off. And the 
the part of me that's always been a little bit of like a confusing troublemaker it, it that does make me giggle yeah people see you know like tiktok stars or youtube stars you know making hundreds of millions of dollars and a comedian of comparable you know uh, celebrity uh is still like living in new york in like a two-bedroom apart like jim gaffigan i think he and his kids and his wife were living in like a two or three bedroom apartment uh up until like a, a couple of years ago yeah. and even then he was still probably the second biggest comedian in the entire world because right. like if you track people's touring money that becomes probably go oh he's huge he's huge yeah. but yeah if you want to live in manhattan <laughs> you want to have that many kids that many kids <laughs> it's gonna be very catholic very catholic Jim. <laughs> it's gonna cost money like i get it i get it i um my favorite part uh continue with accessibility was uh when at the beginning of the of the half my life you were standing in front of the venue for the for the breakfast idea uh, for the breakfast 9 a.m show which was such a unique and lovely idea by the way like i just a comedy show at 9 a.m. That's very funny in itself. Like you didn't have to tell any jokes. I just started laughing. Uh, but when you were when you were doing a talking head out front, people just walked up who were coming to the show and they go, "Hey man, great to see you!" And they just walked in, at like like as if you were just another one of them. Uh, so that that was that was very funny to see. Well, two two things. This I have to say, it is important to me to admit the pancake show was not my idea. Okay. Um, the venue we sold out that show it was a very intimate space sold it out and they were psyched they said you want to stay in town another night and do another one i said well i got a show in detroit i got to drive to hmm. said let's do it at 9 a.m screw it i said this is why i like playing these venues i show off in in the special like a lot of them are underground diy many of the music venues rooted in the punk rock scene i go this is why i like these venues because if i'm doing you know Johnny Haha's or, or what they don't think, hey, 9 a.m. show the next morning, you know, and it's uh, it was their idea. And I give them credit. And then, you know, it's it's really, really meaningful to me that people do feel comfortable uh, approaching me. And and like you said, in that moment, not not to come up to me and like have a conversation that feels like you're a celebrity I know. Sometimes I get those too. Those are nice where people, oh, your work, it meant so much. Very, very nice, I'm flattered, but it's really, really meaningful to me that people more often feel like they can just go like, Geth, what's up, dude, how you been? And I'm go, I'm good. Psyched to be back in Baltimore. Like, I love this venue. And they're like, yeah, no, we saw you here last time. It was cool, thanks for coming back. And me being like, yeah. People also will sometimes even just with me be like, Oh, I heard you say on the podcast you're a vegetarian now. Like, you need any recommendations on places to eat? And I'll just go like, yeah. yeah. I get on my phone. I take a note. So <laughs> it does feel like we're friends. And, and um, again, special certainly makes it clear where sometimes I go, I I'm proud of the fact that I've made some projects that are, are not standard. But it also means that not everybody is going to latch onto them. And that's going to mean that I don't have a sense of stability in my career. I built that, I own it. It does stress me out, but one of the very nice things about never having totally gone mainstream is it hasn't created um, as much of a barrier between myself and the audience right. as some other people might get if they've done some of the things I've done. And 
I tell you, I really like that because when I was young and doing comedy, so much of it, am I going to succeed? What am I going to get? Am I going to get a job? There's ego, right? It's ego driving it. But as I've gotten older, what I've actually realized more and more is the reason I think I still love doing it is because I get a lot out. I feel less alone hmm. when I do comedy. I am someone who in my real life often feels very alone. I am someone who's very mild-mannered. You might even say meek. There's a lot of situations where I'll be in a conversation and I'll be the one to go to talk and everybody will just kind of talk over me. It's very real. That is who I am. And there's yeah. a lot of people out there who identify with it. And um, <laughs> I recently, it's funny, I was recently in a car with two other people and I was in the back seat and I was in my head laughing going, my inability to figure out how to insert myself into a three-person conversation at the age of 41 years old is, is sad yeah. that I can't figure out how to jump in and then I'm in the back seat going, I, I wanted to say that thing they were talking about um, in, in, in reference to that thing, but that was a few minutes ago. Are they going to find it weird if I jump back? Like I'm still in my head all the time in real life. So my audience, I think, are comprised, the majority of people, what they have in common in my audience is that they all sort of feel that way too. I feel like you go to my shows, and one thing I'm really proud of is like people tend to look different. There's older people. There's younger people. There's... Mm the kids with the piercings and the pink hair. And then there's also the people who are literal grandmas sometimes, you know, right. like, and, and I'm very proud of that. I'm very proud of that. And, um, I think that it's, it's not a demographic that gets tracked by advertising agencies, but they are people who I think also kind of feel maybe talked over is how my audience would relate to me. And I get so much out of being able to connect with them because A, when I have a microphone, I actually get to be the one who speaks. And B, more importantly, a lot of times I feel like when audiences connect with my, my material, it, it actually really makes me feel less alone. Hmm. And people tend to not believe me. There's There are people who will come up to me sometimes and they'll go, oh, I used to watch your public access school when I was in high school. And it made me feel better, man. And thanks, man. It, it gave me a lot. And I will often say to them genuinely, like, the show gave me so much too. And I promise you that, like, you watching it allowed it to survive. That gave me just as much as it gave you. And sometimes they'll be like, oh, yeah, whatever, man. They don't believe me, but it's totally true. Yeah, that's uh, that's a – I like that. That's a good, astute way to put it. Um, it's – do you – okay. So with that in mind, I uh, – you mentioned in the in the special you don't want to do a show in a stadium like like all these other comedians can do that. Uh, <laughs> let's explain. I love it. Yeah, it's it. Well, there's two aspects to this, and we make this joke in the special. My friend Carmen, who's in the special with me, um, which another I, I, another thing I love about the format, I get to show off the fact that you have relationships with other comics. Yeah, you go on the road with, but. Carmen makes the joke, you couldn't sell out a stadium. I go, yeah, true, I know. So there's some rationalizing. If I, if my career had built to the point where I could sell out Radio Music Hall, would I probably, and I'd probably love that. But yeah. I can also say so genuinely that things like eye contact, things like being able to go to the merch table and actually meet the people afterwards, mm -hmm. a lot of people move beyond that. 
and bless them. And maybe if I could do that and make that money and have that, what I imagine is such an insanely sort of flattering sense of accomplishment to sell out a venue that big, I'd probably love it. I also know that I would indescribably miss Hmm. intimacy of these types of venues. And even now, I just got to a new agency and they're going, you know, we're going to do live, beautiful, anonymous gigs and you can sell more tickets on those than you sell. I go, okay, let's do it. At the same time, I also made sure on my agency, there was, a, in, when I was in between agents, I worked with a friend of mine who books primarily punk bands and he was hooking me up with some good shows. I said, can he still be on the team? And we built this system where they go, okay, we'll build out the bigger venues and it'll, you know, revolve around touring beautiful anonymous and yeah. traditional comedy club spaces we know about. And then I call up my friend, Brian, I go, okay, they're sending me to Cleveland and he'll go, well, if you want to go to Dayton, I know a record store that does shows in the back. And I go, yeah, let's do it. You know, and one of my first shows back is an actual backyard barbecue in Binghamton, New York. And like, I think it is fair to say that at this point in my career, I don't need to do somebody's backyard in Binghamton, but it's very, very important to me to add some extra dates that accomplish those things because ethically, I think those are great shows. I think you give a lot to your audience and personally, um, they are incredibly meaningful to me. Hmm. And in another sort of vulnerable thing I, I might tell you is like, I had those couple of years I mentioned in 2016 and 2017, where it was like, I had the TV show on true TV, mm-hmm. career suicide on HBO with the off Broadway run beforehand, beautiful anonymous blew up. Um, Berbiglia's movie I was in went really well. I got a book deal financially. Those years were just head and shoulders above everything I've ever seen before and after. And I do the math and I go, man, I did the math. I go, this year, I'm making one-sixth of what I made in 2016 to 2017. And then I sit there and I go, hold on. I've never thought that way. If I really want to claim to be the punk rock guy, I got to remember that the ethics of that world are not about money when it's at its best. Hmm. I got to go, one-sixth of what I made in 2017 is still way more than I ever thought I would have made as an artist. If you told me in 20, you know, 2007 that I'm making what I'm making in 2021, I would have said, oh my God, I did it. So it's, I think, a very American attitude and it's a little bit the dark side of capitalism to go, if you ever make less than you made last year, you're failing. Hmm. I think that's something we all feel. Financially, I'm not doing as well as I did a few years ago. I'm failing. I'm in a career where I can't do that or I'll go insane. Some years you're going to make a lot less than prior years. And then I really believe that. And then it also makes me sit here and go, well, if I sold a 250 seat venue last year, does that mean I need to do a 350 seat this year or a 500 seat this year? Hmm. Maybe there's also a commonality in the thinking about money to go, the backyard barbecue might be the best show on the tour. The weird record store might be the best show on the tour. What's important to me, selling hundreds of more tickets or continuing to have shows that feel pretty magical to me and hopefully the audience. So I'm finding a way to have my cake and eat it too for now. And I really hope that it works out 
and that I can continue this system because I like the idea. Okay, we're going to bump you up to a 400-seat venue in this market where the last time you did 200. Let's see how it goes. Great. That's growth. But you know what? I'm going to go out on that tour a day early because I know about these punk kids who put on shows in their basement, and that will make me feel good. And that will be a show that allows me to maintain a sense of who I've always felt like. And then not only is that good for the soul, good for the show, I bet it will keep me in touch with writing the type of material and generating the type of material that's always made me who I am too. Yeah. So that's the bets. That's the bet I'm making. But I'm also willing to recognize that maybe there's just also a part of it's going, I turned 41 and I still want to kind of hang on to being the cool punk rock guy too. There's also some midlife crisis aspects to this. Yeah. That's uh, realistic about it. <laughs> no, no, that's that's very good. It seems like you're uh, my therapist says I need to start. I need to continue to do this, but you're practicing mindfulness. You're you're doing, you know, you're doing what everybody should be doing. And uh, you're taking like a third person view of yourself and seeing that these are the steps in order for me to have like a healthy uh, mental life. These are the steps I need to take in order to. Uh, not not even you know get better or you know succeed, but in order to 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 keep that sanity, uh, that's yes. a, it's a very nice way of looking at it. It's you have a good therapist. It sounds like, and uh, one of the great safety nets in my life is that my wife is incredible. Hmm. She's also an artist herself, but not a comedian, which is a fantastic balance of someone who understands. We understand each other's lives, but we don't have to compete with each other in any way. Right. And she really, really has my back where when I stress about money, and there's times where it's valid. I mean, like, we need insurance. We have a kid. That's yeah. the reality of living in America. And she'll go, you know, you've been a workaholic as long as I've known you. And it's gotten you, you've, you've pulled off some cool stuff, like, for sure but she's also done a really great job of reminding me like, Hey, we took the TV show money, that, that HBO money. Mm-hmm. We bought a house in a town. I mean, if you look at the town I grew up in, I have great pride in it, but like my kid's going to go to better schools than I went to. Yeah. She's like, so you got to remember you've spent your whole career fighting for stuff. And maybe you're now in a phase where you got to realize what have you been fighting for? Is the goal to just keep fighting until you retire? I feel like that's how people die of a heart attack, you know? So maybe I need to just take a deep breath and go, I get to watch my kid run around in this in this big backyard that I'm lucky enough to have because I fought for so long. And maybe, maybe I can spend a few less, maybe I can spend some years right now fighting for it less and realizing that maybe I got to some of the things I fought for and, and it's, it's okay to slow things down. It's okay if I don't have as much buzz as I used to have. That's okay right. because you, we as artists, and I think probably people who aren't artists as well. I mean, my father would admit that he was, he worked really hard and maybe sometimes to the workaholic level as I do. Like so many of us spend time fighting and we never ask ourselves the question, what is the fight for? Hmm. And uh, I'm trying to remember that as well. And that's another reason why I go, may- maybe it's maybe it's a little disingenuous to say, I would never play a stadium. If I could get there, come on, it's 
you have to feel that accomplishment. Yeah. That's not the type of show I want. It's it's not the type of show I want. But maybe it's more fair to say I don't have any desire to spend a bunch of years fighting just so I can say I did it. Hmm. I fought hard enough. My kid is really funny and cool. Enjoy the spoils of that that those battles that I kind of convinced myself were battles. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. So I think that's part of the stick to some smaller venues and I could never sell out a stadium and I wouldn't want to. Part of the subtext of that is do I want to just keep buying into this system that says grow, 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 or you're a loser? Right. I don't either, you know, I don't, I don't like that system or I'm very content being a loser. It's one or the other, maybe both. (laughs) (laughs) I I love that. I love that uh, idea. Um, now I want to I want to talk more about the I just want to mention the uh, the direction the, I love the direction of the special I love the uh, you know the different angles at sporadic times like just randomly you're you're on stage you're talking and then boom you're probably using one of those handy cams and yeah. we're like two inches from your face and it, obviously it's a zoom but it's uh and it's because you can see the artifacting of the pixels and stuff yes it's, yes it's, it feel it's so. It's so cool, and uh, and I think that's what you know. Uh, when I whenever I watch a special, which is very seldom now, unless it's like somebody I really love, uh, you know, you see like these cool slick things going around. But here, it's just like you know, this is it. This is what you get, and you better like it. it I, I I love it. I mean, it, it's very cool to see people are getting it. Um, some of it's born a necessity. Some mm-hmm. of it is straight up. We have such a low budget that. Most of the cities, we'd go and we'd bring a camera. Um, for a lot of them that were driving distance, we'd bring two cameras. My director would shoot one of the cameras herself. Not always a standard thing for the director to pick up the camera. We'd have another shooter. And for the third camera, we'd just have to like find someone else with a camera in Baltimore. Like The person in Baltimore literally was very shy, never said hello to me, handed over the cards after we were done shooting and left. And the, even our director was like, I don't, I think that person hated that. Like, like, so some of it was just, we were on such a low budget that was running gun. The Philly show, the venue, Good Good Theater was so small. I'm so sad to see that place is closing. Hmm. It's so small that that one, we weren't zooming. There was actually my friend Dave crouching on the stage in the corner with a camera. It's like an 80 seat venue. Um, and, and I will tell you, Kate Sweeney directed it. Okay. She's really brilliant. She was able to do this on a budget that was so small that I think if people who knew production heard about it, they would go, how did you do it? Um, It was largely, she brought on a friend of hers who she's done some production work with after we shot everything. And those were largely the two organizers. That was it. And Kate, I first came to know after my public access show, we handed the slot to my friend, Brett Davis, and, and he He's a brilliant guy. He did a lot of great work in the, our old time slot. And hmm. Kate was working, producing stuff for him. I was going, she's badass. So we hired her for the cable version of the Gethard show. She was one of our two segment producers when we were on okay. um, True TV. And again, just really killing it. And then the whole time, she also comes from the exact Jersey music scene I grew up in, like the New Brunswick, New Jersey rooted punk scene where I went to college there and everything. 
and she makes music videos for a lot of those bands and she was kind of doing that on the side of working for us and i'd watch these videos because they were all bands i liked and she and i have a lot of mutual friends i'm going she makes a lot of interesting stuff and visually it fits the vibe and she really gets the ways i identify with where we grew up and the way people self-organize shows and um I said, let's let's bet on each other. If if you can get in the corner on me, of me doing this weird self-funded thing and all the headaches that are gonna come with that, I like your four minutes music videos enough to say let's make an hour-long special together and see how it happens. And there was actually a situation where um a company stepped in, a production company who I've worked with before, and they they said we want to give you a much bigger budget. And we want to supply all this equipment and all these editing suites and they were really well-intentioned and there was no animosity at all with it but they did say we'd love to have kate as a producer we should th we think she's incredible but um we can provide a director to actually handle the hands-on direction if she wants to be more of a strategist and i said you know what i can't believe i'm turning this down because you would make my life so much easier yeah but part of the experiment of this is that she and I have this real connection and this trust in each other. And I just have a gut instinct that even if it means this money's coming out of my pocket and there's so much less money and so much more headaches because of that, just have a feeling it's gonna come out the way I want because of working with her. Mm -hmm. And she really crushed it. And I don't know if everybody's gonna love this thing and it's it's not perfect, but I know that I'll be able to look at it anytime I, I rewatch it i know i'm going to look at it and go it's what i was hoping it would be right when i had the idea in my head and, and so much of that is because of kate yeah i'm i I, th I think um you know you kind of you kind of gone over this uh earlier but there you when you were driving the the traffic and your back hurting <laughs> and and now you you having like you know mentioning like uh it's kind of a, you know, small little headaches here and there uh, producing this thing and the exhaustion and then the feeling of inadequacy sometimes. Uh, it's like you, you asked, you said you asked yourself, uh, you used to love comedy. And then, then you realize the goal right there, that your intention is you're helping the person having a shitty week that's sitting inside the audience that you want to make them have a better time. And, and that's, I think that's, um, you know, just hearing you talk today, like your passion, that sounds, that sounds so fucking fake. Your, your, uh, your love for the, uh, for the, for what you do, it just, um, it just makes, it just makes everything, it makes all the difference and it really helps you stand out. Thanks. It's super kind. And I can just say like, I've been lucky to cobble together an audience of, of people who don't fit a traditional mold and, I can say without any hyperbole or melodrama, the people who have supported me have allowed me to live a very good life and have probably saved my life in a lot of ways. So the older I get, I'm very proud to say that I'm finding ways to make this comedy career less about my own ego and more about giving them an experience that they deserve. And I think partially that's just maturity as an artist and also like, I really owe the people who have supported me over the years a massive thank you. I just do. And if the best way I can think of to thank them is try to put on a killer show if they pay for a ticket. 
it's the most personal one-on-one way I get to do that for people who have in an incredibly meaningful way given me the life I get to lead. I, uh, on behalf of uh, the people who supported you, you're welcome. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I also have, uh, I was hanging out near those gators. That was a, that was really cool. I, that was a very good surprise ending uh, to everything. I'm happy you, you liked it. It was terrifying hanging out with the gators. It was also terrifying when Gatorland found out about my joke. Um, I lay out how it happened in the special, but like, it was not, I didn't call them up and tell them. I thought they were going to be mad. Instead, I found out Gatorland has a great sense of humor about themselves. There's a lady named Savannah who works there and handles a lot of their like outreach and social media. And, and she's so funny and kind and like, just in a way, I do not think she'd be offended by just like a lovable wacko who lives outside the box and owns it. And I just identify with that so hard. And we did not even, there's like, they set up like a fake brick wall with a comedy club logo on it. Yeah. We didn't propose that we showed up and they had done that for us. I was like, Oh my God, Gatorland, they have such a good sense of humor. And when you see that footage, and it looks like I'm standing in front of like 30 full grown alligators and there's no safety net to it. That is what it is. Oh God. The only protection I had while performing for those alligators was there was a guy standing about 10 feet away off camera. One guy who was like, if any of them come towards you, don't worry, I got it. And that was it. And like that footage where the albino alligator starts kind of creeping towards me and, and looks like I've been irritating it. They let me into that cage and there was, a, again, somebody eight feet away, Oof. but they were like, here's a bucket of chicken, dangle it over at its nose. They don't really see that well, so let them smell it. And the thing, I was in there with it for a while and I think it started to get a little annoyed that I wouldn't stop dangling chicken over it and it started walking towards me and I'm like, it was, it was for real scary and they were around, but like nobody had like a taser or a net or anything. It was just... I guess if one of these gators gets mad, someone's going to come drag it away by the tail. Oh, no. And um, it was really scary and I think kind of proof of concept on what the joke says. <laughs> uh, also, I think just they were kindred spirits in many ways of like, we're just going to keep doing it our own way and own it. Mm. I also want to say too, for all the jokes about how crazy Gatorland is, which I stand by, they also rescue a lot of animals that are going to be euthanized. They also educate a lot of people about how whenever you hear about alligators, you know, biting people or killing people, so much of it is because we're building condos where alligators, like we're going onto their turf. So Gatorland does a lot of good work too. And, uh, and, and the joke doesn't lay out those parts, but between that and the fact that they had an incredible sense of humor about themselves, I, uh, I am eternally grateful to Gatorland. <laughs> also, when you're in the Orlando area, go check them out. Oh, good I people. Will. I, I had to, I had to Google, I had to Google it and they have the five stars are out of this world on the reviews on the, the for Gatorland. It's, it's crazy how dedicated people are. It really is. Uh, it really, it really is a special place in all sorts of good and bad ways. Uh, I do have one thing I want to mention. I have uh, alternative titles uh, for the for the special. You know, just in case uh, half my life doesn't play very well. Um, 
it does it does don't worry uh but my uh you said this after you said um helping the person have a bad time uh, addictive magic that would have been a good title uh talking about your son uh punk rock baby that would have been a good one. Oh yeah probably and, uh, that one jumps out as better than the okay. current title yeah uh and fleeing ice uh that was a good one about the the the, the bus story um i just i thought those all stood out to me uh when whenever you said them I, I thought they were very funny lines thank you so much i feel like you could also call it midlife crisis or maybe a tired man still tries i think those would be good titles too <laughs> yes see look uh bring me on as a producer uh you know pay me whatever you need uh whatever Next you can time. afford i Next know um, well chris i don't want to take up too much of your time but uh this has been this has been real fun i had a had a blast uh, learning more about you and, 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 and getting into the intricacies of this special and, and how you feel about it and the things surrounding it. That's awesome. And it's, uh, you know, every time we've talked, it, it really, they're cool conversations. I thank you for having them with me. Well, and I, I thank you for uh, allowing me to have them. It's, it's, it's the best. All right. All right. Very All right. cool. Good seeing you. Good seeing you too. Have a good uh, weekend and, uh, and and rest. You know, take some time for yourself. Do my best. I'll do my best. Thank you. All right. Bye. All right. Bye.